Welcome to Brothers King Talk, where we view eternity through the lens of art. My name is Samuel. And I'm JP. And we are back, continuing our trek through the history of pop music. And I am at... excited for this one. Yeah, we're uh, we're looking at the what was Billboard what did Billboard say was the number one song at the end of the year. And this time we're going to 1948. Yep, 1948, and we're looking at 12th Street Rag by with, uh, performed by Pee Wee Hunt and his orchestra. Now, um, this this song, right out of the gate, it's a, it's a straight-up ragtime song, and I did not know ragtime was still, like, a big thing by the late 40s. I, I always think of that as more of, like, a 20s, 1920s thing. Okay, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I mean, 1920s, you know, roaring 20s, there was, it was more of a... Um, what is the what is the name for it? Bop music, mm-hmm. and uh, so like flipper music, yeah, the, the, with the flipper girls and everything like that. So that's more poppy. So ragtime. I mean, you're you're getting more into like the 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 uh, New Orleans, uh, you know, type style, Louisiana style ragtime in this in this day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this song is much older than Pee Wee. Uh... I keep on wanting to call him Pee Wee Herman's. Yeah, What's right. his name again? Pee Wee Hunt. Pee Wee Hunt. It's such a similar name. Right. Um, I almost, and you know, now that I think about it, he even looks a little bit like Pee Wee Herman. I wonder if uh, they based his character a little bit off this guy. Just Could be, yeah, yeah. I looked him up and I, he was, I was like, man, he is uh, an interesting looking fella. <laughs> yeah, I wonder now. But... This song was originally uh, published in 1914. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, darn, this is an old song. Um, and, yeah, it's been through a lot of different composers. It's considered um, a jazz standard now. Oh, yeah. Which I find interesting. Like, standards I find interesting because they're, like, they're songs that Whenever I hear the word standard, um, I think pretentious is the first thing that comes into my head. Probably because right. of some books I've read and stuff. Sure. <laughs> but uh, at some point in history, you know, songs become well enough into the pop culture psyche that they're just considered standards. And um, this is one of them. Well, yeah. And so, I mean, when you think about other standards, when, when you really uh, think about a genre, if you want, like... Let's uh, let's take just classic rock for example. A standard for classic rock, in my opinion, will probably be "Back in Black" by ACDC, because That's it's fair, so yeah. it's so ingrained in the culture. And so when you say classic rock, I would say most people are going to think back to "Back in Black," and or or that album or ACDC in general is just they they have created so many hits for that genre that when it comes to you know if you're gonna cover a classic rock song you know if you're gonna reimagine a classic rock song it's probably going to be something like acdc okay fair enough yeah see when i think standard i don't i guess i don't think of genres i think of just songs like um what is it star spangled banner right it's considered Mm -hmm. a standard um or you have other songs like White Christmas. It's considered a standard because it's just... Yeah, Christmas it's, standard. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess I never thought about by genre. That'd be kind of interesting to see if we could find like a list of genre standards sometime. That'd be pretty cool, yeah. 
All right. Um, so tell me what you thought of this about the song, JP. I know you said you really like it. So what do you like about it, man? <laughs> so, okay. So now this could be because I was born in the age of television and in the age where I could literally watch cartoons whenever I wanted. But this song initially reminded me so much of SpongeBob SquarePants that it was uncanny. And sure enough, I looked it up and one of the main themes that they use in SpongeBob SquarePants is an absolutely under the sea version of this track. And <laughs> it made me I just I couldn't believe it. So the very beginning with the uh, with the initial guitar part and then essentially just superimpose that on a backdrop of SpongeBob SquarePants house theme of the pineapple under the sea. And instead of using, you know, standard ragtime instruments, throw like a, a really high strung ukulele and there you got it. You got Spongebob. I did not realize that. Oh, that I, was... I just I, like I said, I think it's because I grew up in that TV age where, you know, if I turned on the TV, it was probably Spongebob on the TV. Um, but yeah, and, and I mean, it's just so if you listen to the two tracks together, uh, it's very clear that they are they are one and the same, and so it's it's very amazing. I think that a song that made the number one uh, number one year end single uh, in 1948 is still being used uh, in I mean children's TV shows now, but it's still being used in TV at all now in you know 2019. Yeah, no, it's a uh, that is interesting to think about it's um it reminds me of a throwaway gag from uh doctor who back in the day this was like from 1960s doctor who sure where um uh the doctor turns on the beatles playing and uh one of the people in there go oh you like listening to classical music <laughs> and uh and so it's just, it's funny how pop music does it's just kind of become ingrained in the culture where yeah that's just it's part of our background it's part of the classic and yeah you don't really think about it absolutely um another thing i love about this track is i love the multitude of solos um i mean it makes me think back to when i was in jazz band uh, in high school now that's you know several years ago but uh, when I was, uh, I played trumpet in jazz band, and so maybe that's why I resonate with this song so much. But it reminds me of those solo competitions where, you know, we step off the risers and it's me and a saxophone player going back and forth with solos just for like 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of that's kind of how I hear this. I I really know that the the band leader was probably something, or well, Pee Wee Hunt uh, probably would have been like, you know, just just uh, for about four or maybe five measure or you know four or five bars just riff for a bit and we'll see what happens and i can just imagine them performing this live and then just uh you know one of the one of the instrumentalists just losing their their self and their solo and then they're just off on the on another plane of uh existence it feels like when you're soloing yeah and um i think this may have been probably not Okay, so we probably had another decade of it, but this was uh, around the time when jazz started becoming heavily incorporated into pop music. Yeah. And uh, I'm not horribly familiar with jazz. I wish I was more familiar with it. Mm -hmm. But um, I do find it interesting as a genre because it's definitely the most versatile genre. It's like there's so many different things that are still technically jazz, even though they sound nothing alike. Right, yeah. And, and I mean... 
jazz and you know you 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 think about all the different types of jazz music you think about you know you've got dixie uh you know dixieland type music you've got ragtime you've got uh you know blues you've got uh you know just standard you know pop jazz i mean there's so many genres within the genre itself it, it kind of makes your head spin <laughs> um also on a side note about this song um, it has no lyrics. It is a strictly musical number. Yeah. Yeah, that was something that really surprised me as well, just thinking about how uh, having an instrumental song reach number one on the pop charts, it just blows me away because if you compare it to today's pop charts, where it's so focused on the words and the lyrics, people could seem to care less about the song that's underneath. And all that people really care about today is if the song has a good beat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, you, uh, I would say a, a lot of music is very beat-oriented nowadays, interestingly. Mm-hmm. Um, now, musicals as number one hits are not unheard of. Um, so, and especially during the disco era in the late oh, 70s. Um, so, here's a fun no, one-hit wonder for you. In the 1970s, someone remixed um, the Maz Eisley scene, that music, from Star Wars as okay. a single disco song, and it became the number one hit. <laughs> I'll have to check that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds that sounds like it'd be a good time. Um, so, as for how I feel about this song, I'm just... The only ragtime song I'm familiar with is The Entertainer. And that's because that one just, you know, you're you're born, and then within the first month of your life, you hear it somewhere. Right. On a commercial or something. Yeah, I can. Um, so I, I was kind of walking into this a bit blind. Um, I I don't have any strong feelings about it. It's just, it's, it's good. It's just uh, not necessarily... Maybe if I listen to more jazz, I would love it a lot more. But as is, as I stand, sure, it uh, just kind of strikes me as just a uh, man. It's it's interesting background music. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so this song is pulling from 1948 ragtime jazz era, and it's of course you know Perry Como. Not excuse me, not Perry Como. Uh, uh, Pee Wee Hunt. Uh, that was my bad. Um, uh, is actually in Ohio of all places. So. He, he's not in Louisiana. He's not in New Orleans. He's he's in a, the middle of Ohio, and mm-hmm. you know that's that's not where you really expect these ragtime uh, ragtime songs to come out of. It's just Ohio is just not really where you expect. And I think this track really encompasses what's amazing about ragtime because when you hear it, you really can't help but just kind of move, move your body. You gotta dance. You gotta wag that finger. And you see yourself in an episode of Steam, or not an episode, uh, the short, uh, Disney short, Steamboat Willie. Okay. Uh, and so, interestingly enough, Steamboat Willie was actually released 20 years before the the Pee Wee Hunt version of this track got released. But like you said, the original composition was released in 1914, so 12 years prior to Steamboat Willie. So, just a little bit of Disney facts thrown at you. <laughs> <laughs> And and so it just kind of makes me makes me move around, makes me bounce around, and you know it's just one of those songs that I just really really enjoy uh, listening to. And you know when it comes to jazz music, I mean I, I really do love 
a lot of different types of uh, jazz artists and uh, I, there's one of the coffee house jazz or cool jazz as it's called uh, mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite types where it's just very kind of mellow uh, low trumpet you know a soft piano a nice uh, nice uh, upright bass kind of just plunking along and so I think that's the other side of this so this is that's like cool slow jazz this is more like cool up uh, uppity jazz you know ra- the ragtime feel of it yeah absolutely it's interesting you say he's from Ohio um, what this makes me think and I, I'm speaking entirely from guesses here sure um, because interesting enough Wikipedia barely even talks about the PB Hunt version it talks more about all the other jazz players who covered the song well yeah I what I did was I actually I, I checked out uh, Pee Wee Hunt himself and he was born in Ohio and that's where he actually joined up uh, joined up some initial bands in Cincinnati and uh, I, apparently he was a featured trombonist in initial orchestras where he actually left the group in 1943 so about you know five years prior to this song coming out he worked as a Hollywood radio disc jockey uh, but then he actually joined the Marines uh, mer- as a merchant marine near the end of World War II um, so prior to World War II actually coming to a close hmm so I mean, this. Uh, so it's very interesting. So he actually returned to the music scene um, in uh, 1946. So actually, two years before this song was released, and he, you know, it was. I think really what he was trying to do is he was trying to quote unquote find his sound. Because he's well, been. Play- I mean, he's clearly been playing for music music for a really long time. What um, what I was going to say that struck me as with strictly knowing nothing um, is uh, kind of what producers do nowadays where they're like, they're trying to find the new sound. They're like, okay, what's, what's hot? What's kicking? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the, what are the kids listening to nowadays? Right. right. And uh, you know, he, he, him up in Ohio, maybe in his travels through the military and stuff, he, he heard that kind of, like you said, Dixieland sound from down South and was like, huh? Okay. That could, that could prove interesting. I Let's go be. ahead and, and cover this. See see how well it works. Yeah, yeah, and and so I don't I didn't listen to the other the other track, but he had a a major a second major hit uh, named O, uh, just O H exclamation point, and that was released in 1953. Which th- those were his only two uh, singles, and that one didn't even reach number one. So we'll not cover it in this show, but uh, it reached number three on the Billboard chart. Interesting. Yeah, so um, overall on the song, why don't you give me your ratings first, sir? I'm curious, curious uh, how you're going to go on this. So, yeah, uh, I think, you know, I think I'm a little bit biased. Uh, not, you know, it just happens just because that's my personal style. But uh, in terms of music, I, I really think that this this track really holds up. Um, in terms of the music, uh, it makes me want to get up. It makes me want to dance. It makes me want to move. Uh, so the hands down three, I really, really love this. Uh, and in terms of how it holds up, how it, you know, think about with its inclusion in children's TV and, uh, being rewritten and things like that, but it's the same track over and over and over again. They're just using different instruments to perform the same song, uh, the same track rather. 
And so I think it holds up hands down. It, it's it, it's very, very interesting, very, very good. So I think definitely uh, three for that as well. And then obviously there's no lyrics in this song, so it's kind of hard to uh, you know use our previous grading system uh, like we had mentioned before. But I still think that even if there were lyrics, it's like, there's a song there's a song by I think it's by Miles Davis called uh, Basin Street Blues and it's this really like really awesome low to the ground really drag out cool jazz oh it's just fantastic and you get this image in your head of what the Basin Street is and what is happening in, down that street and it's just it puts a picture in your mind just like if you were reading a book and so I think what 12th Street Rag does is it paints this picture of, you know, walking down 12th Street in New Orleans and people just having a great time and having a having a fantastic Louisiana time, just dancing around, just enjoying themselves. And so because that paints such a great picture, not only the name of the song, but the 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 music makes me feel like I could just step into that portal through time and just absolutely dance down the street dance down 12th street and enjoy myself just as much as i could so i think this is a fantastic song uh i really do and i think you know obviously if there was uh lyrics to the song maybe get a little bit more jazzy to it maybe get a little bit more uh fun to it so i'll I'll have to give that a two in that section but i really think uh, eight eight out of nine total wow very nice um, my thoughts on it, um, as I said, to me, it's a bit more background music. So two, um, the lyrics, I like what you said about, you know, how it makes you feel like you're st- walking down the street. And I, I think it's especially funny because the song originally was written as a joke, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where, uh, Uday L. Bowman, the guy who originally wrote it, told one of his friends, Hey, if you open up this pawn shop on 12th street, I'll write this song and become rich. <laughs> just as a joke really? saying he wouldn't ever be successful right and so yeah it, it evokes that air that time um, I give it a solid 2 there and then um, as for how well it holds up over time I think this particular version um, doesn't hold up like phenomenally well and what I mean by that is it, um, it doesn't do anything to like give itself personality. The song itself, yes, it's a standard. It holds up. It's timeless. But this particular version lacks the personality. Oh, I see what you're saying. So this, in like we said, uh, like we said it before in uh, a previous episode, dealing with uh, "Near You," that song, while it has been redone in a couple of different ways, the the one that actually topped the charts is not what's uh, not what's holding the test of time. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. So, for the track, this individual, you know, 7-inch track, I would only give it a 1. But still, that's... Wow, I just did it again. That's a 5 out of 9 again. I am... (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. But yeah, I so... And, you know, that's the type of thing where... uh, I also have a, like I said, a bias towards the the classic ragtime. Like I said, you know, I I played uh, jazz trumpet in high school and... Uh, this is definitely one of those tracks where it would have been put on my music stand. It's like, let's have fun. And so we just go with it. All right, man. Uh, we went a little bit longer on this one, but it was fun. This was a uh, fun to talk oh, about. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> it's all good. All right. Um, well, sir, until next time. Until next time, sir.